Um, it's good to be with you today. I'll tell you, I'm a little tired. I do have an excuse. I wonder if you have the same excuse I have. I was awakened by an earthquake yesterday at 7 o'clock. Were you? That was crazy. I was actually in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I wasn't sure what was going on. Uh, I was staying beside I-44, and I thought a, a truck had hit the building. Uh, I heard a, another guy, um, another, my friend Jeremy's here from Eldorado Springs. He said a, a friend of here, his uh, said that he thought his septic tank blew up. <laughs> interesting, interesting thought when you feel the ground shaking, okay? Um, uh, <coughs> how many of you are in church today because you thought Jesus was coming back yesterday? <laughs> I don't care why you're here. I do know this, that God has led us all here today uh, to learn about the Holy Spirit. And I want to set things up a little bit differently than I did in the first service. So many times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, we, and, and rightly so, we talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and, and all of these great things that the Spirit does for us. But I want to focus a little bit more on who the Spirit is today than we have perhaps in some of the previous teachings. And the image that I had in my mind was... Um, Anybody, this is maybe dating me a little bit. Anybody ever seen that movie? I think it's the movie Dances with Wolves. Anybody ever seen that? Where, did anybody remember the name of the wolf that, that comes around? He, he calls it something. Two Socks. Yes, thank you. I could not think of that to save my life. Thank you, Dennis. That's why you should have a good sound man that's up on all movies, okay? Um, so, so Two Socks, like there's scenes where he's trying to feed Two Socks, you know? And, and if you can picture it in your mind, like he's holding out the meat. And, and two socks is like creeping up very slowly, and it's kind of like, I'm going to grab it and run away, right? Um, I, I think a lot of times when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit and what the Spirit wants to do for us, we're a little like two socks, and we're like, give, give me the gift, but I'm not sure I completely trust the gift giver, right? I, I want what you have, but I'm not real sure about... The, the gift giver. That's really a strategy of the enemy to keep you from fully experiencing everything that the Holy Spirit has for you. That's one strategy. He, he wants you to believe something bad or at least mistrust the gift giver, God himself, just enough where you can't fully experience everything that the Lord has for you. That's one strategy of the enemy. Another strategy of the enemy is to convince you that, that somehow you are not worthy of the gift that God is trying to give you. And this is where we have to be careful because the reality is we are not worthy in the sense that we can do nothing to earn God's favor or God's love or God's grace. But God has seen in us He's created us with some value and some worth. And what he wants to do is redeem us and remake us and reform us and restore us into everything that he wants us to be. And he does this largely today through the work of the Holy Spirit, the giving of gifts, the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit being with us. So as we talk about the Holy Spirit today, I want to remind you of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, 
Now, what he's saying there is, if, if you human beings who are fallible and, you know, when there's an earthquake, you think that your septic tank blew up and things like that, if you guys know how to take care of your kids, how much more will the, whole, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Isn't that cool? He's not holding out on us. He, he has something for us. And he says the Holy Spirit's available if we'll just ask him for the Holy Spirit. So let's pray and ask God for the Holy Spirit. Can we do that? Lord, first of all, we want to recognize that your spirit is here. Uh, as God, Holy Spirit, you, you are omnipresent. You're everywhere. So we recognize your presence. But we ask that you would not only indwell us, not only would you be in us, but you would be on us this morning. And that uh, we can just walk in the spirit. That you would protect us from the flesh. Protect us from error, Lord. And, and by the Holy Spirit, guide us into all truth today. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Right here at New City, Sur New City Church in this 11 o'clock service, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to understand who the Holy Spirit is, we have to understand something about the Father and something about the Son. So a good place to start is to start with Jesus. Amen? You think that's a good place to start? Let's start with Jesus. Come on, can I get an amen? I just want to make sure you're awake or something. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we lost sleep yesterday, right? Remember? So we need to stay awake. Um, let's start with Jesus. What Jesus says in John chapter 13 to 14 as to why he was sending the Holy Spirit to us. It gives us some clues as to who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is in our lives. So in, in John chapter 13, uh, we begin reading there. Let, let's go ahead and start reading at, uh, at verse 1. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the very end. Now, I'm going to pause there for a second because this, this verse 1 has this beautiful transition, all right? Up until this time, the book of John is all about the life of Jesus, his miracles. It's showing that Jesus was God. It's showing his divinity. And up until this time, John is saying that, that Jesus here, uh, having loved his own who were in the world, so that's what he had done. That's what he had lived up, at, up to this point in John chapter 13. And then he says, he now loved them to the very end. It points forward and saying, now, uh, by the way, this is a transition. He's about, this is the day before he dies. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to suffer, saying he, he loved him up until this point, and now he's going to love them to the very end. Isn't that great? I, I think that's, that's just a, a, a beautiful reminder, this transition. Jesus, in his life, he, he loved them, and now as he's approaching his death, he loves them. That is Jesus' intention, to love his disciples. So today, as we look at John 13 and John 14, I want you to be encouraged that if you know Jesus today, if you're a follower of Jesus today, that you can feel as though when he talks about the spirit, that he is intentionally and personally interested in helping you and loving you right where you find yourself today in life. So let's continue reading here. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the very end. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that he should betray Jesus. 
because Jesus knew that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got up from the meal, removed his outer clothes, took a towel, and tied it around himself. He poured water into a wash basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel that he had wrapped around himself. This is a pretty interesting picture of our Lord, isn't it? He's in the upper room preparing for this last supper with his disciples. He, he takes off his outer robe. He wraps a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. I don't know if you caught it or not, but it, it says here that, that because Jesus knew that the Father had handed things over to him and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, this was the motivation for Jesus doing what he was about to do. And that's really a theme all through the book of John, that Jesus says, you know, I, I'm just here to do the will of my Father. He says that in John chapter 5. He says it again in John chapter 7. I don't do anything on my own initiative. I'm here to do the will of the Father. He acknowledges it when he's praying the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He says, Father, as you have sent me into the world, so now I'm sending them into the world. After his resurrection in John chapter 20, he says, just as the Father sent me, I am sending you into the world. So Jesus here, it kind of, John sets it up that Jesus, knowing who he is, that he had come from the Father, he had done the will of the Father, that he's returning to the right hand of the Father, Jesus knowing who he is as the Son of God, doing the will of the Father, he begins to do what we see laid out here. And he washes his disciples' feet. Not exactly the picture of leadership we always get in our world, is it? I was thinking as I was reading this about, I, I work at Kansas Christian College, and I have a few employees that work for me, and I was thinking, would I want to wash their feet? No, there's like, I've got, some, some of you might know, like one guy's a drummer. Who would want to wash a drummer's feet? No offense, drummers. You know, one guy used to be a car salesman. Oh my goodness, what in the world? No, it, like, it, and I started thinking, do I, is this the type of leader I am? Hmm. Yeah, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and then this is what he says, if you, if you look on down to, uh, to verse 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you do so correctly, for this is, that is what I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example you should do just as I have done to you. So Jesus is saying, look, you call me Lord, you call me teacher. I, I'm your leader. This is what Jesus is saying. And, and, and it's true, I'm your leader. So I've washed your feet. You guys ought to be washing one another's feet as well. I'm giving you an example to follow here. And this example should not be separated from what Jesus was doing, the will of the Father. In other words, Jesus, as he lived out his life on earth, and one of the, uh, the, the missions or the vision of New City Church, it's stated like this. We want to inspire people to trust in and what? Anybody know? Live like Jesus, right? So how did Jesus live? Well, Jesus lived doing the will of the Father at all times. That's what he lived to do. 
And if you're part of a, a, a discipleship group or you know the discipling language here at New City, one of the things that we use a lot here at New City is called the learning circle. And we go back to Mark chapter 1 and verse 15 where, where Jesus says he's going around, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, it says. And he's saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is near, so repent and believe the good news. What is this kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about? And why is this good news? Well, the kingdom of heaven is what Jesus was living out by doing the will of the Father. The kingdom of God is simply the effective range of God's will. Another way of saying that, the kingdom of God is where what God wants done gets done. As the esteemed theologian and pastor Matt Miller says, it's where God is boss, right? You guys shouldn't laugh when I say that. You know that, right? I'm just kidding. I don't know if Matt's here. Hopefully not, and hopefully he won't watch the video, right? But yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, so, it's a great way of saying it, where God is boss. And, and Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and he's living out these, these kingdom principles by where what God wants done is done. And, and again, if we really believe that, that going back, if we really believe God has our best interest in mind, and, and we don't believe anything bad about God, then this really is good news for us, right? Pastor Chris, he, he talks a lot about Coram Deo, that where what God wants done happens, and we long for uh, we long for this day when Jesus is physically Lord, where where the wrongs are set right, where where injustices are are, are made right, where nobody's suffering anymore, and, and we just long for that day. And the disciples, in part, were able to experience what it was like to walk and live in the presence of a person who did the will of the Father. And he's washing their feet, and that's part of this, and he's saying, hey, I want you to continue this kind of life I'm living. I want you to continue my mission, and I want you to serve as I serve. And then we, we, we read on down, and you read the rest of the chapter, and there's some, some, and I hope you'll read both 13 and 14 to gain the context, but we read on down, verse 34 uh, it, it says, um, I give you a new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Everyone will know by that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is, is calling or inviting his disciples and, and actually he's, he's commanding his disciples. He's given them an imperative. This is not optional if we're following Jesus. He's saying, hey, Love as I have loved. How did Jesus love? Well, he's the type that would wash his disciples' feet. He, he wanted to keep them clean in the world. And think about this. This is kind of an interesting thought. Uh, somebody told me between services, but, you know, if, if God has already washed you and you're walking in the world, uh, what needs clean? And actually, if you read it, Jesus alludes to this in that chapter. Your feet need clean, right? Isn't that cool? Cool to think about? So, so... So Jesus is saying, I want you to serve as I've served, and I want you to love as I've loved, and I've shown you what that looks like. And I'm giving you this new command here in verse 34. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And he says, in fact, people will know that you are my disciples if you have this love for one another. Now, it's interesting when we're talking about the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and then Jesus is talking about loving one another here. Because um, throughout our, our series on the Holy Spirit, 
we've been in 1 Corinthians quite a bit, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13 a little bit that we always call the love chapter and 1 Corinthians 14 a bit. Well, if you, if you look at Corinthians, you know, the Corinthian church, they had a pretty big problem with, with um, being self-centered and exalting themselves and being self-indulgent. And in fact, the, the whole book of 1 Corinthians largely is this exhortation to, to serve as Jesus served and love as Jesus loved and to quit being selfish and quit making it about yourself. And we've seen in 1 Corinthians 12, he's saying, hey, guess what? Those gifts that you think are so wonderful and so great, um, everybody has these gifts and you need the rest of the body of Christ. So quit Quit thinking that you're the stuff because you can do this and recognize that every single gift is important to the body of Christ. And then he goes on in chapter 13, what we call the love chapter. Don't separate that from the conversation on the gifts. And he's saying, hey, you, you guys that think your gift is so special and awesome. And, and can, I, can I just pause here and be just really, really real? You know who I think needs to hear what I'm about to say more than anybody? It's people who stand on this platform, myself included. You know, a lot of times there is something that can happen when you stand on this platform. Let me tell you what it is. Okay, I'm just a normal guy, and now I'm an expert, right? And I think the exhortation in, in 1 Corinthians 13 as a reminder, hey, you think you're something special because you're standing on a stage? Well, guess what? The gifts that I have given you, they might make a lot of noise. They might make a lot of buzz, but they are worthless if you don't love as Jesus loved with a selfless love. They're like a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. And then you move into 1 Corinthians 14, and it's basically, hey, since love is supposed to govern all these gifts, uh, uh, you should be seeking those gifts that edify one another. And again, uh, you get to thinking, hey, why do I want God to increase my profit? Or why do I want God to uh, make me a better shepherd? Or why would I want God to bless my apostle? Is it because I want to love as Jesus loved? Because that's what Jesus is is getting at. That's what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians. And you can see this in the teaching of Jesus here. Serve as I've served and love as I've loved. Now this obviously, it brings up a dilemma for us, doesn't it? It brings us this, this dilemma that we, we see that the Corinthian church was struggling with it. And we see that, uh, you know, maybe they were grabbing at the gifts without being mindful of the gift giver. And we can see that all too often we struggle with the same dilemma, right? While Jesus lived to do the will of the Father, all too often it is, it is really easy for Matt Lee to live to do the will of Matt Lee. Right? It's easy for us to live that way. So yeah, we hear this call, serve as I've served and love as I've loved, and we think, man, I, I want to trust in and I want to live like Jesus, but we, we see this dilemma, wow, this life that he's calling us to, it, it's not just one great, easy adventure. Yeah, it's the best way to live, and I want to testify to that, but man, it, like what Jesus is saying is, is hard. That's why a lot of times we get into discipleship groups and, and we challenge one another. You know, Jesus challenged people. And for me, it's sometimes hard for me to challenge. I love to, to, to come alongside of you and love on you and, and tell you about your worth. But, but it, it's kind of hard for me to tell people to grow up, to be honest with you. But sometimes that's what love demands. So what I'm saying is, man, if I try to do this in my own strength and my own power, I am going to mess it up every single time. 
Can you imagine what the disciples must have been thinking? I mean, he had loved them to this point, and now he's loving them and what they're saying, but he's going away, and they don't understand this. And it's kind of funny, actually, if you read uh, the, the first part of chapter 14 in John, Jesus says, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and, and you know the way. That's what Jesus says. Just read it. And Thomas says, no, Jesus, we don't know the way. <laughs> what are you talking about? Thomas would have been a great strategic planner. You know, you always start with your destination, but Thomas is like, Jesus, you didn't tell us where you're going yet, so hang on. And Jesus says, well, I am the way. So they must have been thinking, man, how are we going to do this? Because this is a hard life, living as a disciple of Jesus, and he's our hero, and he's the one that, that brings us together, and he's the one that showed us how to live. So if he's going away, how can we do it? Right? They were struggling with this dilemma. And that brings us into John chapter 14, where Jesus trying to speak words of comfort. And, and again, go back and read this whole thing. But, but uh, I, I want to uh, read to you specifically uh, John 14. So uh, this desire to live as Jesus lived, where, where Jesus is boss, um, it, it, it brings up this dilemma. And, and then so we look, okay, what, how do we do this, God? Because surely Jesus isn't going to tell us to do something without equipping us to do it. And, and we find here that Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you a helper. It's better, in fact, that I go away because I'm going to send you the helper who will be with you at all times and help you. Let me read it how the scripture reads here, John 14, 16, and 17. Then I will ask the Father, and, and he will, uh, in fact, you ver back up to verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? And he says, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another Another advocate, another helper, some versions say. And that word another is someone like myself. Okay, so Jesus, God in flesh, is among his disciples. And he's saying, I'm going away, but I am sending another like myself, God the Holy Spirit, to be your helper. To be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot accept because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he resides with you and will be in you. I don't know if you caught that or not, but if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then, then you might not be able to recognize this, this person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus says, hey, if you know me, then, then you're going to recognize the Spirit because he's one like myself. So then we begin to ask the question, okay, so who is this helper? Who's this helper, this advocate? By the way, the, the Greek is, is uh, for helper is parakletos. It translates counselor, both in the sense of someone there to listen and in the technical sense of an advocate or a lawyer. It's someone who is coming alongside of you to help you through, to walk with you and be with you in a situation or in those things that you're facing in life. So who is this helper? Well, I've already alluded to it. it it's some, another Someone like Jesus, he is God, the Holy Spirit. He's a person, not a force and not a feeling. You see, so many times I, I think that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it, it's, it's too easy to think about like Star Wars or something, right? May the force be with you. Right? But, but Jesus is not, or, or the Holy Spirit is not some type of a mystical force. He, he's not just an emotion, you know, sometimes we talk about, well, I really felt the Spirit. Well, what do we mean by that? Is it, are we really talking about the Holy Spirit? Or are we talking about our emotions? I'm here to tell you today that the Holy Spirit, the helper, our advocate, he's not a force, he's not a feeling, he is God, the Holy Spirit. 
And the Bible talks about him in personal terms. In, in fact, he's referred to as God in Acts chapter 3. I don't know if you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They, they lied about what they were giving. And uh, the, the apostle says, hey, you've, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've not just lied to men, you've lied to God. So right there, the apostles recognized that the Holy Spirit uh, was God. It, it talks about him again in personal terms. He, he possesses intellect, 1 Corinthians 2.11. For who among you men knows the things of man except the man's spirit within him? So too, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. He possesses emotion. Isn't that awesome? How many of you are emotional beings? Really, everyone should raise their hand because it's all of you. Some of us show our emotion more than others. But you know, there's some, there's some teaching out there that I get a little nervous with, and it's kind of like that all your emotion is bad, and that we, like, you just, if you could just walk around as a zombie or something without emotion, you'd be better off. I'm here to tell you that's garbage. That's ridiculous. Our emotions need to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us he has emotion that he can be grieved. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Isn't that something to think about? So he is God, he possesses, he possesses intellect, he, he, he possesses emotion, he has a will, he makes decisions. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, we've talked about this uh, in our series, it is one and the same spirit distributing as he decides to each person who produces all of these things. The, the spirit decides who gets what, what gift. So you see, when we talk about this helper, we are talking about a personal God, the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. So I think as we talk about the Spirit, however we talk about him, I, I think it's important to recognize that, that he, is, he is God. Amen? That he is part of, he is this personal God, and, and that God the Father and God the Son are present with us today through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about wanting the Spirit to give us gifts and we talk about needing to be filled with the Spirit and we talk about wanting more of the Spirit, uh, I, think it's, I think we should talk in, in relational terms, in personal terms. How can I have more of the Spirit in my life if He is a person? Well, it means that, that I, am, I am giving Him influence over my life and this is where we get into the response over in ephesians chapter 5 it's a very familiar passage of scripture um, ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 the apostle paul he uses uh, a comparison uh, with getting drunk doesn't sound real spiritual does it but he says hey don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or debauchery but instead be filled with the spirit now, I've already told you that the Spirit, Holy Spirit is God. He's a personal being. So how are we to be filled with the Spirit instead of drunk with wine? Well, uh, the analogy here in, in comparison, right, when somebody gets drunk, what controls them? The alcohol, right? Yeah, if you, if you have too much to drink, uh, you start saying silly things, and it's not you saying it, it's the, it's the alcohol talking, right? Yeah, I, I, I recently I was... Uh, I, I, I was able to sit down with some people, and he had one too many beers, and he, he started getting a little bit weird, right? I'm like, this isn't the guy that he was 30 minutes ago. It's the alcohol talking. It becomes this influence that begins to, to, to flow over and shape the things we say and the way we act and even the way we walk, right? 
So he's saying, do not be drunk with wine in contrast, because being drunk with wine leads to self-centeredness and self-indulgence, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And, and the tense of the verb, be filled, is one that means, hey, it, it's present imperative. It is be filled, so keep on being filled with the Spirit. The, the point of the analogy is control. Have the type of relationship with the Holy Spirit where he is this dominating influence in your life. Well, what's that look like with a person? If we were honest today, we, we would probably say, hey, you know what? We have the type of relationship with some people in our life where they become the dominating influence in our life. I, I hope that that is God in my life. I hope that as Jesus, I believe it is. I confess that he is the dominating influence in my life. And I can tell you, and I, I think my wife would testify, I care more what God thinks than what my wife thinks. I do. I don't say that lightly because I, I like to be able to say things with integrity when I'm up here. There was a time in my life where I put love interest way above God. And let me tell you something. There was a time in my life where the person I was dating would change who I am. I hate to confess that. <laughs> right? But they had this dominating influence. And, and what, what Paul is inviting us to and what Jesus is saying when I send the helper to be with you, I want him to have that same influence, be that dominating influence on each of your lives to where he's boss. What he wants done is getting done. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So Jesus wants us to live like he lived, to serve as he served, to love as he loved. It's obvious to all of us that we have this dilemma in our own flesh. We have this inability to, to, to carry that out and to do that well. But Jesus says, hey, I have good news for you. I, I've loved you in being here and I'm loving you now. I'm not going to leave you alone. I am going to send the helper, God, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And he is going to guide you into all truth. And he's going to give you gifts and he's going to give you gifts to become one with the body. And, and, you know, I'm commissioned. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out just as the Father sent me out. But the Holy Spirit is going to be with you wherever you go. So I don't know about you, but I am, I am, I am so aware as I step out. And the older I get, the more aware I'm becoming of it. And I sometimes I think, man, the older I get, the more afraid I'm getting. I hope that's not the case. Hopefully, I'm becoming more wise the older I get of how much I just need the Holy Spirit instead of just launching out and doing my own thing. But how do I allow the Holy Spirit to become that dominating influence in my life? How does this happen? Well, on your notes there, I've, I've given three C's, and I'm, I'm going to add one to it as well. But the, the first one is, you know, first of all, you, you need to be converted, right? And Jesus said, you're not going to recognize the Holy Spirit. If, if those who, who don't know me, you're not going to recognize the Holy Spirit. Romans teaches that, that when we are saved, when we, we come to Jesus, when we're baptized, we, we receive the Holy Spirit and he's dwelling in us. So if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus today, guess what? The Holy Spirit, he's in you. And now what I'm encouraging, that the Holy Spirit gets on you in such a way that he begins to to be the boss of everything that you do. So the first thing, you must be converted. 
The second thing is you must be committed to being filled with the spirit. You must be committed to the spirit being that dominating influence in your life. How many of you know that any relationship with anybody that has influence on your life, it takes commitment to that relationship, right? They don't have much influence if you're not committed to that relationship with them. So it takes this commitment to, yeah, Holy Spirit, I want you to be the controlling influence. And so day by day, I am committed to seeking you and to allowing you to, to control my life. You say, well, that takes effort on my part. Yeah. It does. It takes effort on your part. You say, well, you're not teaching grace. You're not teaching. Well, that's not true. I am teaching grace. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. You can't earn it. But you know what? As you respond to Jesus, <laughs> be committed to that relationship with him. Be converted. Be committed. I can't believe I, I forgot my last C. Somebody give it to me. Convinced. <laughs> I skipped one, didn't I? And that's terrible, just a, a brain blank. Yeah, be convinced, right? You're not going to be committed unless you're convinced that you need him every day, day by day, right? And, and that, is, that is what we see <laughs> as the Holy, you know, those disciples as they waited in that upper room. You know, Jesus said, hey, wait. They, they knew, they were aware of this commission God was giving them. And they're like, you know what? <laughs> we need to do what Jesus says. Because after you wait, you're going to receive power from on high, the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? And the final one is just simply confess our need for the Holy Spirit. And that's where I want to land it today. And I'll take you full circle back to Luke chapter 11, where Jesus says, hey, if, if you, being evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So as we as we close today, as we sing, you know, one more song, maybe, yeah, you're converted. You know Jesus. But you're convinced, man, my own inability here, I have this dilemma, and I, I just, I need the Holy Spirit to fill me and be that dominating influence in my life. And I'm committed to, to just seeking his help on a daily basis. So as they sing and as we sing in your heart, or if, if you want to come up and pray, that's, that's fine too, or where you sit. But just confessing, hey, God, I need your Holy Spirit. He's here, and we know that. So, Father, I'm asking you for the Holy Spirit, not just to dwell in me, but to be on me and, and to, to influence what I do. Father, as, as we close, that is our prayer as we, as we begin to sing. Lord, I pray that it, this message would get from just information to, uh, to our hearts and, and, and work it into us, Lord. Because we want to be filled with your spirit. We want to be moved by your spirit. We want to be influenced by your spirit. We want to walk in the spirit. So, Lord, I release this message to you. And I pray that you would guide us and lead us. In Jesus' name.